dollar bill, dollar bill, dollar bill, dollar bill. <laughs> it's, do you ever watch the movie The Little Rascals? Yeah, Like the newer one? Well, it's not actually new. It's like Yeah, it's the cute one. I got a dollar. I got a dollar. I got a dollar. Hey, hey, hey. I <laughs> love it. I love that movie. And, but you know what's gross is Donald Trump was in that movie. You know, he made a lot but of appearances like in movies. But he's like the rich kid's dad. Gross. You know, the villain. He dad, is also in Home Alone 2. Yeah. And he's in the January 6th hearings. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life. Books and champagne. Brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. This morning is a cocktails before coffee day, because we're getting to business. Getting to business. Good one. Yeah, we're drinking rosé today. The pretty pink bubbles from a vineyard in California called Schramsberg, and they make this rosé called Mirabelle, which is delicious. It's a pretty name, too. Yeah, it's delicious. I really, wow. When we know the dragons, that is high on the to-do list. Ooh, fucker. Muffins? I share that this has happened before because there's like um, marks on some of the books. Yeah, I know I drank this pink. Yeah, rose, sparkling rose. Oh, I missed you say that. There we go. Might be a two bottle kind of day. We're recording this podcast on Friday, June 10th at 8.30 in the morning. And we like to start our Fridays with a glass of bubbles. Ellen, tell me what you're reading. I'm reading three books right now, which is very unusual for me because I normally don't like to have more than one going at the time. Same. But circumstances arose in which I was in different places where I needed a book and I had (laughs) happened to have a different book around me. So I was like, what the fuck? I'll start this. Yeah. And they're all good. So I'm sort of alternating, but um, the first book I'm reading is called Valorio, which has been on my radar for a little while. It's got really cool cover and it's about the aftermath of hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, um, which is a issue that's been a little bit on my mind because it was addressed in Olga Dice Dreaming, which is one of my favorite books I've read this year so far. Um, And so it's got, there's definitely a lot of um, similarities in terms of the things they're talking about, but it takes place fully in Puerto Rico and it's alternating perspectives, all young people. And I'm not super far into it, but like one, and I I think that their paths will converge. Mm -hmm. Um, But one is, um, Camilla, who's a teenager, her sister has died in the in the hurricane, and wow. she's like trying to get her sister's body to wow. the plaza. And then one is Bayfish, who is uh, who is afflicted with some sort of like skin condition, mm-hmm. and he is a fishmonger, and he like lives on the streets, and he's become a part of this this group 
um, which reminds me of the group they talk about, uh, Olga's mother's group in Olga Dystream. Oh, yeah, kind of like a gorilla group. Yeah, gorilla group in, in Central, in the mountains. And so he's, his kind of group of friends that he hangs out with are, they're being summoned to go there. Okay. That's where I'm at. Um, and then I'm reading Siren Queen. Mm-hmm. Which we're Me buddy, too. We're just we're a little bit group. in. Yeah. I'm probably like, I don't know, maybe a hundred pages in. So yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm in it quite a ways, but not super significantly. But anyway, it's the story of Luli Wei and she is, um, a Hollywood, you know, right up and coming Hollywood starlet, mm-hmm. Chinese American. And she's very like insistent that she's not going to play you know the stereotypical awesome asian woman roles mm-hmm. um but in very typical nevo fashion this is not just a straight up story about you know um hollywood it's full of magic and demons and all kinds of things and the theme that i'm seeing right now is that these hollywood starlets sort of rise and fall and they're very much at the mercy of the men who control the industry right um, so I think that that's where this book is going. And then the third book I'm reading, I'm obsessed with. I talked about it last week. Yeah. I reviewed it last week on the pos- podcast so that we, I could talk about it. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to pick up a copy. And it's called The Seaplane on Final Approach. Yep. And it's written by Rebecca Ruckeiser, who graduated from the Iowa Writers Workshop. Very cool. And, you know, there's a pattern that the Iowa Writers Workshop turns out some pretty fucking good writers. They um, need to just come back and visit us. I know. If you graduated from the Iowa Writers Workshop, get with me. Come to Ames. Yep. Um, anyway, <clears throat> it's about um, Mira, who has just finished high school. And the, the previous summer, she's, she's kind of, she's an only child. And her parents really think of her as, like, being rebellious. But she's like, I'm really not. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not that rebellious. But... Um, so they send her to Alaska to live with her aunt for the summer. Okay. And during that time, Mira, who's very preoccupied with the idea, the concept of sleaziness. Okay. Meets her step cousin, Ed, in his twenties. <laughs> he's a fisherman. And she thinks he is so sleazy and so sexy. Ooh. And he, he, they only cross paths for a few days and it's very flirtatious, but nothing happens. But she becomes like really like in lust with this guy and and so um her her aunt and after a series of circumstances sends her back to to california she finishes out high school and mirrors the whole time it's like i'm i'm gonna go back to alaska and i'm gonna hook up with ed <laughs> so she takes a job the following summer at this wilderness lodge in alaska that you can only reach by seaplane okay and her plan is she's gonna like save some money because her room and board is included. And then she's going to find Ed at the end of the season. And they're going to have lots of sex and get married. This um, is hilarious. And this wilderness Lodge is run by a couple. This is her cousin? It's her step-cousin. Oh. Yeah. It's her aunt's husband. It's her aunt's stepson. Um, And so <laughs> she's working at this lodge with this couple. And they're, the, the guy is, like, sort of pervy and, like... You know, the good old boy and mm-hmm. the woman is like kinda hates it, hates her husband. And but they're very they're very much like trapped in the space. And then so Mira's working there, there are two other teenage girls, and then the chef who only goes by the name Chef, and he's he's a recluse. And um 
so yeah, there she's in this wilderness lodge. It's a very scripted experience for their guests. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like repetition and the things that the owners will say to the guests. Oh and, god. And whatever. And the whole time Mira's like just lusting for Ed and she's like really ho- every time she sees a like a fishing boat go by go by, she has this dream that it will like start to sink and she'll rescue Ed and they'll have sex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, but the, it's just so funny like the book is so funny and the writing is like top notch it's really good I knew it was one of those books like on the first page I was like I'm gonna love this book I'm so excited and I haven't been able to put it down like, I'm so excited so I took it home yesterday when you came in just saying I'm obsessed I love it it might be the best book I've read this year and you didn't even tell me anything about it and now yeah, I'm more and it's intrigued got, it's got great like it's got some great sentences and one-liners. I was reading paragraphs to Rachel in the office yesterday. Um, and one of the things that's funny that comes up a lot is in her preoccupation with sleaziness, she feels like she can't, like, how do you adequately define sleaziness? So okay. she spends a lot of time thinking about what makes something sleazy yeah. or not, and mm-hmm. whether you can categorize something as sleazy or not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in one part, she's thinking about people who ride trains a lot. And she's like, I would, you would think riding trains feels a little sleazy, but she has determined that efficiency is part of sleaziness. Right. So she's oh. like, if you ride the rails in America, you might not be sleazy because the train, the rail system is not efficient. But if you rode them in Japan, where the rail system is efficient, you might be sleazy. This is fascinating. So she gets, she goes deep. She goes deep. So does um, she like sleazy? She finds it very compelling. It's okay. very sexy to her, and she... It, it's like a form of intelligence, almost. Yes, and she feels like Alaska is the sleaziest state in the world. Wow. So she's down. All right. Alaska is a sleazy state. I mean, if you're Alaskan and listening to this, I, I in this book, sleaziness is a, it's a positive attribute, but I've never been, and I would like to go to Alaska. It might be one of those books that inspires someone to go somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's like you become beautiful. interested in Alaska, like the Great Alone did it in a very beautiful way. Well, one this the, did it in a sleazy way. One of the ways the owner always describes Alaska is it's God's own country, and she just says it over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> to every guest. <laughs> well, then there's also like one of her things too with the sleaziness is that because there's so much, because you know long days long nights depending on the time of the year that when she's there there's much longer it's like daylight most of the time even at night and so she's like most sleaziness happens dark but in alaska it has to happen in the light Ooh. so it makes it like extra sleazy right it's like my house looks much cleaner at night you know like dim the shade yeah it looks warm and cozy in the light of day whew, you see some things you haven't seen yeah <laughs> Like me. <laughs> well, I'm reading When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill. I am so interested in this book. I have been wanting to read it. So tell me all the things. All right. The premise is, and it, the publisher describes this as a rollicking feminist tale. It is not rollicking. Okay. So I'll just come out and say it. Whenever it's I hear that word, I picture like lovey in a field. Yeah. <laughs> Frolicking. A I, form of frolicking. I know. I, I, it feels like a form of frolicking. Yeah. Right? You Like, it's funny. You would think it's funny. So this yes. is not funny. Um, it's 1950s America, <laughs> and there is an incident, but it is not the first, because it's it's been kept on the down low, 
But in this instance, there is a mass dragoning when nearly 650,000 women spontaneously turn into dragons. Like you do. Like you do. So it's a, it's, it's like, it's acknowledged that it happened, but it is not investigated. It's not tried to be understood. Okay. It is kind of like it happened, put it away. It's unmentionable. So it's part of this, it's tied almost with like feminine issues. Like don't talk about your period. Mm. Don't talk about breast cancer. These feminine things are not to be talked about. And we're going to pretend it doesn't exist so that it doesn't happen again. And if we ignore it, it won't be a problem. This is how the 1950s deals with the sudden, you know, abandonment of 650,000 wives, mothers, daughters. And primarily it is tied to marriage and motherhood. And so what you come to understand, I mean, it, it, it goes without saying. Okay. Do you ever feel like a dragon? Yeah. But we, I don't live in the way that these women are forced to live, which is repressed, um, very narrowly defined roles. You could be a genius, but you're going to be a housewife. You could be a mathematical genius. And the main character's mother is. In her college, she graduated top of her class and um, wasn't wasn't a lot, wasn't admitted into a master's program because it it would have taken a spot for a man. So this is very much about female repression, male dominancy, um, not acknowledging anything unfeminine. It's about feminine rage. Um, Women will, even after the mass dragoning, will suddenly disappear. A house will go up in flames and the husband's missing. And it's evident that there was violence in the marriage or the woman was um, not received unpleasant interactions at her workplace. So it's very much about repression and violence against women and what happens. And I love the symbolism of the heat and the rage and the fire, the destructiveness of the dragons. So it's all told from the perspective of Alexandra, who prefers to go by Alex, a young girl whose mother, we understand, has undergone treatment for breast cancer. And she has an aunt who is very much anti-feminine. And um, the aunt is among those who disappear during the mass dragoning. So it's understood that she likely became a dragon. That It's very um, magical realist. This can be categorized as fantasy, but it's so based in reality. And then there's just this one element of magical realism. Plus, the mom seems to be trying to hold desperately to her human form, Alex's mother. And one of the ways she does this is by tying knots. So there's this like folklore about knots being protective, all the different forms like sailor's knots, crochet knots, all these different knots. She uses knots to hold herself in place and she uses it to protect her daughter as well as the niece, her sister's daughter, who she then adopts after the mass dragoning. And they just ignore the fact that the aunt ever existed. Um, There's also a neighbor that disappeared prior to the mass dragoning. 
She never existed. We don't talk about it. So it's about uh, Alex kind of trying to understand the world around her and be a good child who follows the rules of don't mention it. Dragons don't happen. I never had an aunt. But she herself is dealing with very conflicted emotions about her intelligence, her sexuality, um, what she's observing in her mother. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm really enjoying it. And the author is a known middle is a pretty well-known middle grade author i think she won like the newberry award yeah for she um the girl who drank the moon okay and this is her adult fiction debut and it, it reads very um while she's using a young protagonist it is very much adult fiction gorgeous cover i, I think it's pretty special i can't wait to read that one all right I didn't make any progress on Siren Queen because I was up late, very late last night, preparing this game for you. The game is, we'll call it pen, author pen names. Pen name or real name. So some pen name or real name. Okay. Pen name or real name. So I'm going to share an author name with you in some circumstances in which you have to decide, is it the pen name or the real name? Okay. Or... I'm going to give you a setup of using the pen name and the details slightly associated, you know, some clues about the author. And you have to tell me who the well-known author is. Okay. So just deal. Yeah. Play by ear as we go along. Um, we'll start with the whole tradition of pen names. What's the fancy name? There are a couple fancy names because you would know because you've used a pen name ellen is a published author no, i am a self-published she author. is a published author on amazon <laughs> the and, evil a yeah uh, this was before i was a bookstore it's just an ebook it's, it's just, just an, an ebook e because ellen is actually a very talented writer and she will this um, book is not a talented i know but it's though. about exercising your creativity and getting the words out there and just having some fun which ellen is always up for fun and <laughs> Only, I think, like two people know her pen name. So what else do you call a pen name? A pseudonym. Or the fancy version, the French version. I don't know. Nom de plume. Oh, yeah. And people call it also a literary double. So one of the reasons why people would do this in the past would be um, women who knew they couldn't get published as women. So yeah. they adopted a male name. Now you see it in the reverse. Men who publish under a female name in hope that they can reach a female audience. And then you find yeah. out it's a man and you're like, I knew it all along. <laughs> um, and then you have people who um, just want the anonymity yeah. or people who are super famous who want to publish something kind of like outside their genre without being judged. So I find it very fascinating. Also, I think there's people who have a given name that they know isn't just, isn't very publishable. Yeah. And so they adopt a pen name. Or if you have like a really, a name that mirrors a very famous author, like if your last name yeah. is Dickens, you might, you might change it. I don't know though. If my last name were Dickens, actually I have a last name of, of I have a literary last name. I so, know. You know. I wonder how that would be received. If you publish in the big world, will you go by Ellen Grimm or will you go yeah. by Ellen Moore? I would go by Grimm. Yeah. Because that's my name. Do you think people would assume that it was a pen name? I don't know. It depends I don't on. I think so. I don't think, based on what I know your interest in writing is, that they would. If it was fantasy, they might. 
maybe yeah i mean if i was writing like fairy tale reimaginings or things like that then then yes that mm-hmm. would be a, that would be a reasonable assumption um but the pen name that i published this other book under it that was just oh i thought you were gonna tell us oh, i'm gonna tell you um that that was just a writing exercise right i know and so I didn't want my real name associated with it because I don't feel like it's actually a representation of your goals my and writing, aspirations, my, my writing goals. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really like the accomplishment was just like writing the whole story. Out. Right. I did not go through a big rewriting phase. I didn't concern myself a lot with like, um, you know, reworking things or sentence structure or word choice i really just was like i'm gonna tell this like super cheesy romance story and i'm gonna lean into all the tropes right and just exercise your writing Mm -hmm. and then you know i have this dream of being a published author one day and i was like i don't know that i would want my name attached (laughs) to that if i ever if i ever was able to accomplish anything so you can bury it if you want to yeah i mean i don't know there's a few people who know your secrets that one of there these are, only, there are only two people who know my pen name. And Rachel, of all people, is actually you, one of them. I know. It, and that and is she, she is sworn to secrecy. Yep. And if she ever and he, wonders. And she has been tested. I've seen, she tested me. I actually tested her. It's mm-hmm. bullshit. And you but you passed the test, Rachel. I passed with flying colors. You did, and I'm so proud of right, you. Right, Anna? I'm so proud of you. And my husband figured it out. But I was like, you cannot read that book. And did he listen? He swears to me that he did not. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. He figured it out. So the name is something personal. It's no, it's not something personal. How did he figure it out? Because I had given him like some details about the story that I was writing or like the idea that I had. And he, he just figured it out. By the title of the book. Okay, and then he found... And then he showed me, and I was like, the pseudonym. you will never read that. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. If you give me the right price, yeah. I'll sell Ellen's pen name to you. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. I'm going to give you a sort of a softball to start, because... That's a lot of pressure, because what if I don't know the answer? It's okay. And then you'll be like, you are a noob. This person was notorious for using many, many... Um, nom de plume, and I think it may ring a bell. So we'll just take our time. Okay. Who went by all of the following pen names? Mrs. Silence Dogood, <laughs> Anthony Afterwit, Alice Addertongue, Polly Baker, Harry Meanwell, Kelly Shortface, Martha Careful, Busybody, Benevolence. Richard Saunders. And I, I can give you a hint. Uh, okay, I, I, I need the, one. The two best known are Mrs. Silence Duguid and Richard Saunders. Saunders. And another variation of Richard Saunders was Poor Richard. Rachel? Is it Charles Dickens? Close. American. A founding father. A founding father? Mm-hmm. I do not know that. Alexander Hamilton. It's Benjamin Franklin. Damn it. I know. I mean, he was denied publication. Actually, that makes sense. Yeah. 
He was denied publication in the New England Current. Like he he was trying to get published, and they said no thanks. But so that's funny because his family owned newspapers. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they didn't want to publish him, so he posed as a woman. Oh, that must be hard to be a man who can't get published. So he acted <laughs> he acted as a middle aged widow named Silence Duguid who offered a very believable name, charming letters. Yeah. I should have a well. If I had um, assumed a pen name that was like a characteristic, what do you think it would be? Mm. It wouldn't be silence. It would be sharp. Something sharp. Yeah, I think you would have sharp in your name because, like, you're super smart, but like something that's sharp has like a very fine edge. It's like <laughs> intelligence that comes at you and cuts quick. It's like, you're not expecting it. It's like our label remover for books when you're like, oh shit, I just <laughs> cut my hand open. <laughs> you want to pause? Sure. <clears throat> Unless do we want to invite Shane up to the podcast and see if he gets inside any of this? Oh my God, he should. Ask him up. Ask him if he can figure this one out. Okay, just really so quick. So R-E-P-S, man, who's always game for our shenanigans we we have roped him into all sorts of shenanigans and he's very patient with us and he's very professional and he never wastes time on the job especially considering he you know has to haul heavy boxes of books every day for us um we are inviting him currently to play this game with us we'll see if he agrees to our shenanigans just one question shane god Rachel's you might be surprised Shane you might be surprised <laughs> I mean when she gets married Shane's gonna be in her wedding I she said that we could officiate her wedding I would really and like I that I feel like the implication was that we could also be flower girls lead flower girls lead flower girls together yeah. she's like oh he has nieces well guess what there's they no, can be behind us there's not a rule about how many flower girls x amount of flower girls she likes the british royals like me and they have a tradition of just having like a whole horde of like flower girls and ring bearers like little kids and i think we can be very effective with it have you ever been in a wedding party yeah i had done it three times and all three times were under unfortunate circumstances one was my grandma's second or third wedding and Holy shit! It was me with my two cousins, and it was like a cowboy themed wedding. So, we, oh my god, this sounds like fiction. I remember I our flower girl dresses were like red and white checkered, you know, like button. They were cowgirl. Oh my lord! They were cowgirl flower girl dresses, and then you know you you grow up and your friends get married and you're like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if they you know asked me to be a bridesmaid? And I have gotten to be a bridesmaid two times once in a friend's wedding once at my brother's wedding and unfortunately both of those times i was like six months pregnant yeah so like getting a dress that would like fit right was really hard because you don't know how much you're gonna grow and like you know i think i think he's coming i think he's coming yes it took a lot of persuasion okay shane you're gonna be so famous we're gonna make you so famous no no just one i I promise come close to ellen we need your voice come close to me shane let's not Okay. 
first of all, I'll start by saying that Shane, we've already introduced Shane, but I just want to say like he has a very uh, high level of intelligence. Um, he very much supports his child's um, literacy. Um, he always has the best jokes for us, but I feel like this is one he's going to get. Okay. I gave it to Owen. Okay. JK Rowling. No. Dang it. But good, close. Ah. Very close. Do you know J.K. Rowling's He's not gonna get real first name? Um, like Diane? Joanna. Do you know her okay, actual okay. name? Oh. Robert Galbraith. Okay, wow. but let's give him this one. Okay. I know, I know. We shouldn't bring up the name. She who should not be mentioned. Okay, <gasps> ready? This person is an American, historical American, who is well known for writing under many pen names. And I feel like you might know this, okay? It's totally fine if you don't, and we can just- It's not fine. Okay. I know it's not fine. I'm terrible with all Mrs. Silence Duguid, Anthony Afterwit, Alice Addertongue, Polly Baker, Harry Meanwell, Kalia Shortface, Martha Careful, Busybody, Benevolence, and then most known for Richard Saunders, also known as Poor Richard, who wrote Poor Richard's Almanac. Do you know who the founding father of America is who wrote under all these pen names? I would have to guess Paul Revere, but Ooh, I think that's that sounds like wrong. a pen name. He's not a founding father. I mean, he Paul, he's I part mean, of our he's mythology. The era. The era. The he era. The era, and he was important to American history. Um, let's see what else. Also was- Ooh, see, this is why this is why we invited him because he knows these things. Paul Revere was a silversmith. Okay, his initials are B F. F Franklin. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Boom. Okay. To be uh, fair, you don't want to know what I know about Benjamin Franklin. No, tell so us. He used to exhume dead bodies. No, 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 no. Come all back. The time. Uh, so did Abraham Lincoln. He exhumed his son's corpses. Yeah, but Benjamin Franklin would use it for scientific experiments. Actually, what do you know about Benjamin Franklin? A lot of super inappropriate stuff. Tell me, we are inappropriate all the time. One go. inappropriate thing, go. One inappropriate thing? Yeah. One. In, this is the new game. One inappropriate thing about yeah. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> he, loved, he loved his hookers. Oh. Told you. Number two As inappropriate in thing. Are we loved really it. that surprised? Uh, no. Alcoholic. Oh. Hardcore. What did he prefer? What was his drink? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Alcohol well, and hookers, hand in hand. We're drinking at 10 a.m., so. You know, but we're, you know, that's not totally fair. All that we're drinking alcohol right now, but I guess we do have Rachel present. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I missed it. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I'm going to hear it on the playback. You can choose what to do with it in editing. Okay, Ellen, next up. Okay. <laughs> Who published A Grief Observed, which I think we've had in our store, about the loss of his wife using the pen name Clive Hamilton in 1961? A Grief Observed. In 1961? Mm-hmm. And I will say one part of this pen name is part of his real name. What's the pen name? Clive Hamilton in 1961. A grief observed. I don't know. Okay. It's Clive Staples Lewis. Do you know who that is? C.S. Lewis. Yes. C.S. Lewis, who wrote 
near Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I found this interesting. Uh, I read this book called Becoming Mrs. Lewis by Patty Callahan. I love these kind of like historical fiction bios. And it's about the woman who divorced her husband in the U.S. as part of this like, I don't know, finding her faith midlife crisis. Yeah, we need another one. Um, the person who inspired her faith was C.S. Lewis and his writings that were very prolific at the time about Christianity. So she left her husband, moved to the UK and went to meet him and they ended up getting married and, um, becoming Mrs. Hamilton read very much like C.S. Lewis might've been not straight he lived with his brother and was very resistant to the intimacy of their relationship. And not long after they married for the benefit of her uh, ability to stay in the UK, she needed citizenship. She um, died of cancer and he nursed her through it. And so I just, it was an interesting, a very interesting historical fiction biography of C.S. Lewis and his wife. And anyway, detail. Okay. Real or pen name? Elena Ferrante. Mm, real name. Pen name. Damn it. And guess what? Nobody knows yet. There, there, there's, it was like a decade long mystery, like strong, strong mystery. She would not reveal who she was. Um, she first, she published her first book, My Brilliant Friend in 2011. She had had a couple books before then, all under this pen name, Elena Ferrante. Um, but then this Italian journalist, you know, you hear about the European journalists who go too far. His name is Claudio (laughs) Gatti. He published a scoop naming a Roman translator named Anita Raja as the author. Now it has not been proven and Elena only does, or Elena, I'm not sure how she pronounces it, only does interviews by email. And you can really tell it, like the LA Times did an interview with her and like her answers to their questions are very much written answers, you can tell. But she is not admitted to who she is. But he scoured tax returns uh, for the publisher, E-O, is E slash O is the publisher in Italy. Um, Europa Editions puts out the books here in the uh, in the U.S. And then they looked at kind of like all their employees and looked at their finances and payments to Anita Raja really increased around the time of the movie production of My Brilliant Friend and other things. So he he kind of outed her. Um, and it was it was very much a worldwide scandal in that like people didn't really want to know who she was because she had protected it for so long. So she says she wanted to avoid being tied down to what could become one's public image. She wanted to concentrate exclusively on and with complete freedom on writing and the strategies she was using. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Pause. Rachel, go get another bottle of champagne. One dollar fifty cents. I'm not going no higher. All right. Rachel's in the basement getting us more champagne. Let's talk shit about Rachel while she's gone. No, okay. You can keep going. Okay. Thank you. Integrity. We're nothing. You're so. If not professional. So. Ellen, I have my headphones on. I can hear you. 
<laughs> she can hear us from the basement. Okay. What uh, author has written 77 books, primarily horror, selling somewhere between 300 and 350 million copies, including a book called The Running Man in 1982 under the pseudonym Richard Bachman? 77 books, primarily horror. Big time seller, 300 and 350. The pen name is Richard Bachman. Yep, Richard Bachman is the pen name. That has this person published under their real name. Yes. Stephen King? Yeah! Boo-boo! See, I told you, she's super smart. Okay, so this is the interesting tidbit behind his pen name. Publishers early in his career were limiting authors to like one book a year. They didn't want to oversaturate the brand. Stephen King didn't need to become this like pulp grocery store name. Okay. Why are you aiming that at me? <laughs> so he decided Delicious. beautiful. Oh, it's so pretty. We'll have to get another you guys. Oh my boob. Oh, we're drinking another natural wine. I didn't realize I had bought two. Antec, Limo, Brut Nature. Hate to miss out. It's from France. I was just going to say, we we usually are on an American budget, but this came from France and it's natural. So we'll start that one next. Anyway, um, he adopted the pen name because he he's so prolific. He loves writing. He wanted his books out there and they wouldn't publish more than one a year for him. So under this pen name, he published a book called Rage, The Long Walk, Roadwork, The Running Man, Thinner, The Regulators, and Blaze. So if you're a huge Stephen King fan, you can go out and find these ones. And what's hilarious is for Running Man, The Running Man, he wrote the foreword as Stephen King, endorsing Richard Bachman. (laughs) So he really didn't give a crap. And um, apparently he chose the pen name at, like, in the last minute. His publisher called and said, you got to come up with a different name. We're not doing Stephen King. Apparently he chose this pen name on the fly. His publisher called and he looked his desk. He had a novel by a guy named Richard Stark. He took Richard and the record he had playing was you ain't seen nothing yet by Bachman Turner overdrive. Um, and so he took Bachman from that. That's where that comes from. Did I ever tell you that I low key stalked Stephen King like a couple summers ago? No. So Stephen King lives near Sarasota, Florida. Yep. And my friend hashtag at Sarah Miller, um, lives in that area. And I go visit her frequently and we went to a bookstore in Sarasota called Book One. Cool. Books, or Bookstore cool. One. It's called Bookstore book one. one. Which is fun. It's a really cute shop. I visited a couple times. I think most of the... I think the last couple times I've been there, we visited it. But anyway, um, Stephen King um, apparently goes in periodically and just signs stock. He's very um, friendly to indie bookstores. So we were like... She's like, I know the neighborhood that he lives in. My friend was. So we like googled what is stephen king's address in florida and it's this very very wealthy like right on the water very narrow road and it winds like all the way around and so we we couldn't locate the actual house but we were really hoping that stephen king would like come out to his mailbox or something so we drove around it a couple times 
there was like an empty lot for sale. We were like, maybe if we pull our resources, <laughs> we could buy the lot. We could just sit there in our lawn chairs and, you know, grill the neighbors about Stephen, Stephen. King. So, unfortunately, I didn't cross paths with Stephen King. Maybe he's not responsible about getting his mail in a timely manner. I don't know. All right. Real or pen name Richard Scary? Real. Correct. Yes. So he's known for the, like, primarily board books, um, children's book series based in busy town. All the cute little animals are so adorable. He's from Boston. His family is Irish-American. And Scary is Gaelic. It's shortened from Oscara. I mean, if you're... You wouldn't pick that wouldn't for kids. Scary for a pen name for your writing, like... Kids books. books and kid books. But we love him. Richard Scary. Everyone knows him. Okay. Who first published under the pen names Jonathan Oldstyle, Dietrich Knickerbocker, and Jeffrey Crayon or Crayon? <laughs> and who later became famous for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow using his real name? Oh, God. I should know that. It's okay. It's Washington Irving. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. This is where you're outing me as a really bad English major. It's okay. Which famed mystery writer used the pen name Mary Westmacott to write romance novels? Famed mystery writer. Agatha Christie. Yeah. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> you're so smart. Or as my son would say, yes, queen! Yes, Queen, you got that one. Okay, so she's written 66 detective novels and more than 15 short story collections under Agatha Christie. But she also wrote six romance novels under Mary Westmacott. And she just wanted to explore the genre. She wanted to write romance and she didn't want to be held up to the Agatha Christie name. And she kept that her identity a secret for 20 years. Wow. That's pretty That's cool. Impressive. Um, and they were modestly successful romance novels. So that was cool. All right. Samuel Langholm Clemens is best known by this pen name. Samuel. Yeah. Nice job. Okay. So Samuel Langholm Clemens, who wrote Huck Finn um, and... Um, Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. Yes. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer uh, worked as a, on a steamboat in his twenties. And exactly. Rachel's so smart. So the water had to be two fathoms or 12 feet. So six and six feet, a fathom, I guess is six feet. So um, 12 feet deep for safe steamboat steamboat travel. So they would, throw out this line to see if the water was deep enough for the steamboat to go through. And when the water hit the second mark on the line, as the weight dropped down into the water, someone would yell out, Mark the Twain. And so that, that was acceptable. And that stuck with him, Clemens, and he adopted it as his pen name. And that's what he stuck with. Okay. Well, that, it reminds me, I have a brother, Mark, and Mark just got engaged. Oh, congrats, so Mark. Congrats wait, to Mark wait, and wait, 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 wait. The one from... Cornbread, yes. 
Oh my god, he hasn't been with her very long. No, but she's amazing and just the right person for him, and I'm so happy for them. But he lost the ring in a pond. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Which Which is like would happen to Mark. It would totally happen to Mark. But she still said yes. Aww. So I'm very happy for them. What pond? Um, my other brother has a cabin in the woods and there's a pond. Did they and, try to find it? I mean, I'm sure he tried to find it. I don't know. Like when I talked to him, they were still out there and the reception was terrible. So it was cutting out. So I just like messaged him. And I was like, call me when you get back in town. I'm very happy for them. Mark is awesome. Gaffney's awesome. Mark is very... Uh, he's very much marches to the beat of his own drum. So to find somebody who sees that in him and loves that in him and who also can like, you know, match him yeah. is really cool. So good for Mark. I'm really excited for them. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Daphne. And also go to Cornbread. They both look good. Delish. Delish. Okay. Real, real or pen name, Maya Angelou. Pen name. Exactly. Do you what? know any of the story? I don't know the story, and I'm trying to remember what it's like. Chloe, something, right? No. What is it? It's a. It's a name that it was. It's not a name that you would expect. Marguerite Annie Johnson. Oh, okay. Maya came from a nickname her brother gave her. He would call her Maya sister. Mm. This is Maya sister. So he had this habit of calling her Maya sister, and it became Maya. Then she married a Greek sailor named Tosh Angelos. And when she was a Calypso dancer, her stage manager said, you got to have a better name than Marguerite Johnson. And so she took Maya from her nickname and then modified Angelos to Angelou. And she became Maya Angelou. Okay. And then she wrote Why the Cage Bird Sings. So I was, I'm fixated on this Chloe. Do you know who actually has the pen name Chloe Wolford or is it in there? No. Toni Morris. Wow. Yeah. So it didn't come out of nowhere. Of a generation, two great black right. black female writers. Yes. Okay, Feeling like they had to modify their name. Alrighty. Okay. What uber, uber popular graphic novel writer and illustrator? Best selling graphic novel, middle grade novel. Uh, graphic novel writer and illustrator published a children's book series called Dumb Bunnies under the name Sue Denim. Best-selling middle grade graphic. Yeah. And we both say Dab Pilkey, but he's Dave Pilkey. Dave Pilkey. I looked it up one day. I was going to give you the hint well, that I'm he sorry, likes. sorry, but t- we don't have the either. We, I we know. We should talk to his parents. So he's the creator of Captain Underpants, Dogman, and Cat Kid Comic Club. I don't know why he used the synonym for the Dumb Bunny series, but apparently it is a play on the word pseudonym. It's Sue <laughs> Denim, uh, which is just his level of humor. That's funny. I love it. Yeah, my son Atticus loves his books, reads them over and over over again yeah and uh my husband reads them with him and he also really enjoys dave pilkey's humor yeah dave pilkey for life congrats to him you know like and he's really very much spawned a generation of readers i feel like that is those books are so well loved by that age group and uh, i'm thankful for him for creating them exactly kids 
Okay, pen name or real name? Banana Yoshimoto. Real name. Pen name. Damn it. I know. I thought it was a real name too, and I actually had it in here as a real name, and then I did some research on the author. This is a Japanese author. Her real name is Mahoko Yoshimoto. She adopted the name Banana in college in honor of her love of banana flowers, and she also wanted to be like androgynous, and she felt like banana was androgynous. I mean, she, yeah. She's the award-winning writer of Kitchen. So this is a novel that we have in the store in paperback. And, and she's got a book coming out in the fall because I feel like I saw that in the Penguin catalog. Exciting. Banana Yoshimoto. I love your name. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Under what pen name did Daniel Handler publish a 13-book series that has since been turned into a Netflix show starring Neil Patrick Harris? Daniel Handler, 13 book series, Netflix show starring Neil Patrick Harris. Wait, 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 wait. Shh, I'm right, Sean. Thank you. Lemony Snow. Am I right? Boom. Boom, shakalaka. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the fun story behind his name is that he was doing research for a book. About right-wing organizations. Organizations is like giving them a little bit more glamour than they deserve. <laughs> Rachel knew. She probably Rachel grew up. Really knew she grew she up on Lemony to Snicket. Show that she knew it. She's very smart. So we will acknowledge that Rachel knew the answer. Okay. So Daniel Handler was writing a book about right-wing groups, okay. political groups, and in order to get their insider information and propaganda he would use a pen name to sign up for mailing lists for pamphlets emails what have you and he came up with the name lemony snicket his friends thought it was hilarious they made him business cards they ordered pizzas using the name lemony snicket and then when daniel handler decided to publish this collection of children's books he used the pen name because he wanted to lend an air of mystery by giving this unusual name it's to both, name yeah, for, to the for, author for and the narrator. Know. Yeah, it's very mysterious. It's next level. And I think Lynn lends to why the series was so successful. He's very witty. Do you have any nicknames? Like, do, do you have a nickname that people in your family call you? I was very anti-nickname growing up. My name is Amanda and I once got in trouble for correcting an adult neighbor who called me Amanda the Panda and I told them to shut up and I ran home and then I had to go back and apologize and I don't know where that came from. You know, did he call my parents and say, she needs to apologize. She told me to shut up. Um, I embraced the nickname Mandy from my no, no, Panda. I did. I didn't uh, uh, embrace Panda in college because my college editor at the newspaper at Mizzou called me Panda, and you know she was just a really special person, and so I went along with it. I did not find out my true nickname until adulthood in my like say 38, 39th year when I found out that my family calls me Demanda because I'm so <laughs> demanding about people's contributions to the family. And I've really embraced it. I have a sticker on my laptop, Demanda. I know, I've asked for one. I need my Demanda sticker. I'll get you your Demanda sticker because you love me. How about you, Ellen? 
smelling, oh, smelling. God. Rachel need, brother, needs you smelling. Brother, David used to call me Ellen the Tenton Watermelon. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> David, shut up. Yeah, David. Um, I've had a lot of negative. So mo- most of my fa- my parents and my extended family and like friends of the family call me Ellie. That's uh, so weird. I can't well, look at you and think Ellie. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of my family name. Um, <clears throat> so anyone who knew me when I was like really young, by way of my parents, friend Mackenzie calls me Mo. Um, because because my la- my maiden name was Moore. So oh she yeah, called me Mo. Um, I've been called Elmo, um, Ellen Moore. I'm gonna start calling you Llewellyn. Okay. Because that was a character in a picture book that I love. Yes, that works. And I'm like, oh, that's where Ellen with a Y came from. <laughs> Llewellyn. You're the feminine derivative of Llewellyn. My husband calls me Shmoo. I why? I have no idea why he calls me Shmoo. But he's, he's called me Shmoo, Shmoo for a long time. Um, but my kids all have, like, multiple nicknames that we call them. I don't know what it is about my family, but, like, my oldest whose given name is Jane, goes by Jay, but all of her nicknames are like Jaybird, Bean, Beanicus, Beanie Baby, um, Potato Farmer. Potato Farmer. <laughs> um, Woody. <laughs> um, Very unusual. She plays a woodwind instrument, so I've started calling her Woody, and she hates it. Um, my husband, Tyler, had his dad always called him Lloyd. Don't know why. It has something to do with Seinfeld. But he would call and like leave messages on the answer machine. Lloyd, this is dad. <laughs> um, and then his nickname when he was young from his friends, his name was Tyler Grin, was Smiler Grin, which was ironic because he they could never smile. <laughs> he was always very serious as a young, he's serious as an as a adult too, but yeah. as a child. And I don't know, Atticus, we call Bub. Mm-hmm. And he actually will go by that name at school like he's Aww. told his teachers to call him bub and then my youngest holden we call holdy, holdy. and then holden created nicknames for the family and jay is i don't know where this comes from beans the gerb <laughs> atticus is birds maloney yeah <laughs> and holden is Nikki booking pants. Booking pants? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We just call each other lots you of You guys are extra people. My <laughs> my family had, my grandpa was a big nicknamer, and he called me Fafufnik. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but. I have a ridiculous amount of nicknames from, like, like me alone in my family. Yeah. Like my mom is, like, Jilly Bean. My sister's Meech. But I'm, like. Ray, Rue, Ruski, Rachie, Rach, um, Abu, Scout, um, Rachie, Rue. Um, we call you Ray, Ray. You're always yeah. Ray, Ray in my heart. Ray, 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 Rachie. Yeah. Okay, There's I got more too. Got another one for you. Okay. Re- real name or pen name? Daisy Buchanan. Ring okay. a bell. So ring a bell. Yes, because we saw the name in the catalog, and yeah. I mean, we were like. Who's that author? And then I was like, that is actually the the love interest of yep. Gatsby. Yep. Um, I'm going to say that it's a pen name. It's a real name. Damn it. 
So she, it, yes. Did her parents, they were like, oh, you're getting a literary I did not get that deep, but she is a well-regarded British journalist who's published in like every newspaper and magazine in the UK. Interesting. She's written both fiction and nonfiction, and she has a new book coming out in the fall called Careering. And uh, it's kind of like a Devil Wears Prada story about like getting screwed in your job. Like realizing like it's a dream job, but I don't love it. Um, okay. What famous children's author published under the name Leo Lesseg when he wrote a book that was illustrated by someone else? So if he wrote the book and it was illustrated by someone else, he used the... Nope. Damn it. Good guess. Back run it. Good guess. No. Theodore Seuss Geisel, Uh a.k.a. Dr. Seuss, used the name... Theo Lesseg, starting with the publication of this book called I Wish That I Had Duck Feet in 1965, Lesseg is Geisel, spelled backward. He also used the pen name Rosetta Stone, of all things, for a book called Little Bug Went Kachoo! And apparently it was just like... (laughs) Because obviously that's the name that you should use for that. Yeah, he... It was like the (laughs) co-author's wife's last name was Stone, and so he went with Rosetta Stone. Um, But his most famous pseudonym is Dr. Seuss, and the reason why he used Seuss was because in college he got he was uh, he went to Dartmouth so very intelligent dude um he would draw cartoons and write for his color college humor magazine and um he got kicked off from publishing when he and his friends got caught for drinking gin in their room and this was like during prohibition so it was okay. very very illegal okay um but he continued publishing using the name Seuss which is his middle name and he added the doctor because his dad always wanted him to become a doctor he's not an actual doctor no Rachel. Just add it to the things that are problematic about Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Um, but side note, his name we've been pr- pronouncing the wrong way all the way along. Soyce. Oh, Rachel! <laughs> Rachel knows. Soyce. So the Anglican guys. Soyce. <laughs> <laughs> the Anglican's pronunciation is Seuss. Um, but it is incorrect. The German is Swiss and he would, or voice, voice. It has to be in that realm. Um, and there's this little poem that his college classmate wrote. You're wrong as the deuce and you shouldn't rejoice. If you're calling him Seuss, he pronounces it Swiss or Zoice. That's why Dr. Seuss. We don't care. All right. Real or pen name Rainbow Rowell? Real. It is. So this is on her FAQs on her website. It's evident how many times she answers this question. Yes, my name is Rainbow. Yes, it's on my birth certificate. Apparently her mom really wanted her kids to have unusual, unique names. So she's Rainbow. She has siblings named Forrest jade and haven and then there's jerry (laughs) so she calls jerry's name the weird name when uh one of the names we considered for our oldest was sunshine oh it would be very consistent everyone was like no don't 
You should have done it. It could have been a famous author, but um, she says that having an unusual name, she always hated it, but she suspects it helped her be more comfortable with being a unique individual, being different as she was growing up. Her name was already different, so it helped empower that. Rachel needs a rebel. Rachel needs a blush. Says Ellen, who's on her fourth glass. I am not on my fourth glass. What the hell is wrong with you? Oh my god, lies. All right. Oh, another note. Rainbow Rowell. She's from Omaha. Drivable distance, Rainbow! Rainbow, come on. We love you. Okay. Arguably one of the greatest writers in the English language. This author first published under the name Boz. <laughs> Arguably one of the greatest writers in the English language. Well, that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Boz? Boz. Can you give me any more hints? Mm. This is an author. Old-timey or recent? Old-timey. Old-timey English. British English. British English. We carry numerous volumes by this author. Charles Dickens? Yes. Okay, so he was a serious uh, political journalist at the time that he started developing his fiction proclivities. And he chose this pseudonym so that not to tarnish his professional name. So this is where the name comes from. It's very convoluted. Okay. He liked the book, The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. So he took the name of the character Moses and gave it to his little brother. And he adapted it to be Boses. So when he wanted a pen name, he shortened Boses to Boz, and he liked it so much that he ended up naming one of his sons, Charles Culliform Boz Dickens. Dickens started writing as Boz, um, and his stories were published in 1936 under the title Sketches of Boz. So something you didn't know about Charles Dickens. Okay. Real or pen name? Brad Thor. Does it ring a bell? <laughs> ring a bell? Ring a bell? Um, I hope it's a pen name. It is a real name. Okay, Brad Thor. Props to you. Okay, we've seen Brad Thor's name in um, multiple catalogs. We don't carry him in the store. Um, but Brad Thor is Bradley George Thor Jr. So this is a name they hang on to. Um, is a 52-year-old writer of thrillers from Chicago, Illinois. And some of his books include titles like Spy Master and The Last Patriot. So apparently he's made regular appearances on Glenn Beck's show on Fox. Yeah. And <laughs> he announces candidacy for the presidential election of 2020. <laughs> but he bowed out because of the whole hoopla around Donald Trump. So... That's Brad Thor. Okay, so I feel really justified in my not carrying him, judging him by his name. Brad Thor. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Under what pen name 
did a woman named Erica Mitchell publish a series of books that redefined the steamy romance genre? Erica Mitchell published steamy romances, and I totally... Um, E. Lockhart. Ooh, that's a good guess. It's E.L. James. Mm. Okay, so Erica used the pen name because of her Fifty Shades of Grey steamy content. It's very steamy. It's very extra. And she had young children when she put this out. So she just kind of wanted to keep it separate. Oh, from... not E. Lockhart. I meant E. James. I was thinking oh, Fifty nice. Shades of Grey. E. Yeah. Lockhart is We Were Liars. Yeah, but you were headed in the right direction. I knew what I, I that's what I meant. Okay, so interesting tidbit. When I was um, kind of researching how Erica Mitchell became E.L. James and everything, she got her start in writing fiction because she was obsessed with the Twilight series. Yeah, it's fanfic. Yeah, it's fanfic. And so she published Edward, Bella, um, twi- like Twilight fanfic, like two novels she put out there on the internet. And then, uh, and, and she used a su- another pseudonym to do that fanfic. It was Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. So that was her fanfic for Twilight. And then she developed this series called Master of the Universe that evolved into Fifty Shades of Grey. And now she's like super, super wealthy. Okay. Real name or pen name, Rowboat Watkins. Rowboat Watkins? Rowboat Watkins. Real name. It is. Yes. I thought it. No, no, no. It is a pen name. Well, that. I'm you, sorry. You sorry. I thought. I thought it was a real name because um, I've seen a fair number of children's books by Robot Watkins. So yeah. he got that Ezra Jack Keats honor in uh, 2016 for this book called Rude Cakes. Um, his latest project was this collaboration on. Tiny Cedric. So he's both author illustrator and Tiny Cedric has this hilarious book about like a small man. It is cute. Yeah, he's got issues and he has to work through those small man issues, become a more evolved human being. It's no coincidence that Tiny Cedric has flaming red hair or orange, orange, the Cheeto. Um, but anyway, he got this pen name. From his wife, who nicknamed him Robo 20 years ago and still calls him Robo. It's a little bit like your family, just quirky people. But uh, Robo <laughs> Watkins' real name is Robert Weinstock. And um, what's interesting is on his website, he shares that um, in first or second grade, he actually wanted people to call him Fred. Really? So apparently, Robert Weinstock was just too much for him. And then he ended up with Robo Watkins. All right. Pablo Neruda. Real name. Pen name. I know. So um, when Pablo was young, his name was Ricardo Neftali Reyes Basolto. And when he was 13 or 14, he was like, I'm going to become a writer. So he he's actually like, um, there's this really cool picture book that he has out right now that's really hard to get a hold of. But his father said, absolutely not. You will not be a writer. You will be a successful man by traditional definitions. <laughs> so he adopted Pablo Neruda to hide the fact that he was writing. I thought that was really interesting. That is cool. All right. That's what I got for you. 
That's we'll a good see. game. I like that game. You know, I didn't. I I didn't totally bomb it. No, you were excellent. All right, we have some really exciting things coming out this week. Um, the first one I want to talk about is "Horse" by Geraldine Brooks. Um, Geraldine Brooks is someone who loves to do a deep dive into history. It's not your kind of cliche historical fiction, um, but she finds areas of interest and then goes after it. Um, I enjoyed her as people of the book. She wrote this book called Horse about kind of like the greatest American racehorse who was trained up, bred and trained up pre-Civil War on a plantation in the South. So it's a novel that combines kind of the history of the Civil War um, and horse racing and ties it to contemporary times when this horse was rediscovered. Um, the skeleton was in the Smithsonian, and this whole history was found by, you know, a scientist who worked for the Smithsonian, um, as well as this portraiture, like Southern people wanted to have their horses and um, trainers, these black um, enslaved trainers glorified in painting. And so it was a combination of art history, um, natural history through the skeleton of this horse. And so it tells the story of a great horse, um, kind of the founder of American racing horses. And I loved it. I devoured it. It was perfect historical fiction for me in that it was rooted in real history, but gave um, a very strong narrative to it. So I'm looking forward to that um, out in hardcover horse by Geraldine Brooks. Okay. Um, the next one is how to raise an anti-racist child by Abram X. Kendi, um, author of um, <clears throat> how to be an anti-racist. So um, this is a great book if you are a parent who wants to teach your children about um, systemic racism. But um, to sum up sort of Ibram Kendi's premise, you know, in, in what he writes is that there really is no such thing as not racist. You are either, and that you can fluctuate between these things in your actions, you are either racist or you are anti-racist that there's no such thing as like being neutral, so to speak. So either you are in complicit in racism or you are actively and intentionally um, working against it. And there is no in between. So um, I'm a fan of, uh, of his work. And I think, um, and he also wrote um, stamped from the beginning. Yeah. And there's a wonderful, um, young adult adaptation of that by Jason Reynolds, as well as a children's adaptation of that. Um, but I think that his voice is a really important voice. And as a white parent raising white kids, um, I think it's his work is essential. Yeah. Um, and can really facilitate conversations with your children about um, how they can fall on that anti-racist side. Perfect. Um, we have a couple new kind of like fun summer reads, kind of Northeast beach reads, um, one called Flying Solo by Linda Holmes, and then also Hotel Nantucket by Elin Hildebrand. And she's like a favorite yeah. kind of Northeast coast summer beach read. 
Um, Lisa Tadeo, you've read her, right? No, but I want to. Mm -hmm. So she has a new book out called Ghost Lover. Okay. And then we also have a kind of fun cookbook coming out called As Cooked on TikTok. (laughs) So this is drawing from the most popular recipes and personalities across TikTok, presenting it in a very um, visually pleasing way, accessible recipes that have really been popular for people. Um, In Kids, one of my favorite author illustrators, Bob Shea, has a picture book out called I Am a Baby. In kids' books, we have a new YA novel called The Silence That Binds Us by Joanna Ho. She um, is a picture book author, illustrator um, behind I Set Kiss at the Corner and I Set Looks at the Sky. So she's just made a huge impact on the picture book genre. But this uh, YA novel pertains to being a survivor of a family who has committed suicide. So it's about a young girl. I'm really excited to see how it's received. We have a couple of fun picture books. Um, One comes from a children's book, great, Bob Shea. He has one called I Am a Baby. And then we have one that we're really excited about. It's called A Wish for Twins, A Tale of Two Miracles by Dorothea Rohner. Um, She's going to do her book launch at the store uh, on Sunday, June 19th. Yeah. So 1030 to 1130 a.m. She was um, inspired by the birth of her own twin grandbabies. And um, she's going to have this event in which she invites people to bring their young kids. She'll have cookies, lemonade, and kind of a behind the scenes on the creation of her book. Um, It's really beautiful. um, Very well illustrated. And there is something really unique about twins. I have twin sisters. And I kind of forget to think about the fact that they're twins, but every once in a while it catches me off guard. My sisters are currently pregnant with babies. They're all, they're both single um, pregnancies, but they're twins pregnant at the same time. And that's really special for them. And I kind of forget about that unique twin bond. Um, they call themselves womb mates from birth. So <laughs> That'll be a really fun event. Um, the other things going on at the store Wednesday, I'll be reading with Levy at 10 a.m. And um, on Friday, we have the Found in Translation Book Club. They're reading Girls of Riyadh, written by Raja Alsanea from 7 to 8 p.m. So it'll be a fun, a fun week with some unique opportunities. Um, we really like our Translated Book Club works in translations. It's an opportunity to see the best the world has to offer. And um, Saturday's event will be perfect for the family. So, Okay. And last things last, if you are interested in working at Dog Eared Books, we are hiring a bookseller. So check our social media. Y'all been pounding out the door. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow. Because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yeah. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. (laughs)